Sunday Night Podcast. It's me with Fitz. Fitz, how are you doing? Okay. I'm recording this. Yeah, me too. It's been a while since it's been out, guys. Looking forward to getting into the 1999 album. So let's start with the opening track. And I got to say, this to me is the best example in Prince's entire catalog of the first three songs just being the perfect trilogy to open an album. Purple Rain, the next album, comes close with Let's Go Crazy, Take Me With You, and The Beautiful Ones. But I'd say 1999 with the first three tracks has a slight edge. But we'll get to the first track, and it's the title track, 1999. Prince's well-known songs, I would say, probably not as well-known by the general public as a song like Purple Rain or Little Red Corvette, but 1999 is one of the best opening tracks to an album that he's ever done, I think. Just a classic French dance song. The beat's infectious, the lyrics are catchy, and one thing that really stands out to me about the song is it's one of the rare examples, I think, in Prince's music where the lead is not totally 100% Prince. It's split into three. You've got Prince, Lisa, and Dez all alternating on vocals. And looking at the history of the song here on PrinceVault.com, I don't know if it says anything about whether the three parts was the original intention of Prince or longer, whether they just decided to split it up after listening to it. I think I read somewhere years ago that the original intention was to have Prince on lead throughout the whole song and then just have Lisa and Dez as backing vocals to sort of pad Prince's lead vocal more. But I think Prince heard them separately, the vocal parts, and decided it sounded better split up like that between the three of them. The other thing I was going to bring up, which is kind of a weird coincidence, the subject matter is kind of dark in a way because it's talking about a situation that's apocalyptic, you know, the end of the world. And I was just going to remark about how ironic it is that this is the first Purple Nights podcast of 2012, and it's 1999, which talks about the apocalypse, and you know, of course, all the uh, opinions and rumors about 2012 being the apocalypse as well. So kind of a funny irony there, but yeah, great, great track, and this is one of the examples where Prince, back in the day, especially he was known for long jams, and you know, just letting the song breathe beyond the main verse-chorus-verse structure, and 1999, the album track, is a great example of this, and I think it's a travesty listening to the single cut of it, the shorter cut that was meant for radio, because there's so much beyond the single version in terms of writing the groove of the song out more and just letting it go, and... That certainly lends more to the party vibe of the song, in my mind. But the album track is 
is much longer than the single version, but just a great, great track, one of the best songs Prince has ever done, I think, and one of the catchiest, definitely. Vince, what are your thoughts on 1999, the song? Well, you know, it's one of Prince's greatest songs, um, one of his defining songs, for sure. It is great to hear Des and Lisa singing the lead because it is pretty rare on any sort of Prince track. And um, although it's not becoming as rare, um, now we hear Shelby singing a lot, quite a bit on Prince's songs, uh, the newer songs. So maybe it's something sort of coming back. And of course, uh, Rosie at a presence uh, on Diamonds and Pearls, but it, you know, it is, it does lend to the song. Um, yeah, I also heard that, um, possibly all the song, all the vocals were recorded at once and then he decided he was going to break it up. So, um, who, who knows for sure. Maybe that's something we'll figure out later on for sure. Um, he'll, he'll tell us about that when this does get re-released. Yeah, it's just a great song, great party song. And it does have, those dark lyrics, but and all that insight on what's happening in the world, as did Controversy. You know, it's a very smart record, too. It's not just party song. It's a very smart album overall. Um, I don't know if it does, it gets into topics as much as Controversy did, but it's a great follow-up. It's a great continuation, but it's also a very strong and very different album, much more um, technical, uh, a lot of more of the Lynn drum. It becomes the defining characteristic of sort of who Prince is. Like at this point, you know who Prince is, and it becomes really clear on this album. He's really into his own. It's a double album, which is, is crazy to think about because it's only 11 songs, but they're all, most of them are very long jams. This became very defined of who Prince is. But then again, he sort of flipped the script and made Purple Rain, which had much shorter songs for the most part. And very different album. But it's, it's a great song and, um, yeah, a great way to start the album. So that's 1999. And then we go on to a really well-known song, probably Prince's second most well-known song after Purple Rain. Now, that's just a guess on my part, but I think a lot of people have heard Little Red Corvette and can recognize oh, yeah. it yeah. as a Prince song. And this is one of my top five favorite Prince songs ever. You know, and I always mention... In my mind, the big three, Purple Rain, of course, is my number one. And then When Doves Cry is number two for me. And If I Was Your Girlfriend is number three. But When Doves Cry and If I Were Your Girlfriend, I'm coming from more of a hardcore fan's point of view when I list those as my second and third favorites because I don't think they're nearly as accessible as Little Red Corvette is. So as far as Prince's more mainstream pop songs, I would say Little Red Corvette is right up there with, with the best he's ever done. And I just love this song. I never get tired of listening to it. It's got everything that hardcore fans love about Prince. 
and of course, like I said, it's accessible to a mass audience because it's got a great melody, a great hook, and I love the double entendre aspect of it with the metaphor of the little red Corvette. It's just a brilliant pop song and really infectious. And again, there's a longer version, the 12-inch version of this song is tremendous. And again, you've got more of this long jam formula. It just really lets the song breathe and really gets into the groove and the melody of the song. And the longer version is just amazing. But the album version is awesome as well. What a one-two punch to start an album. And one little tidbit I'll say about this song before I hand it over to Vince. Supposedly, according to Stevie Nicks, it was Little Red Corvette that inspired her song, Stand Back, that she released. It was either the same year 1999 came out or the year after, but it was very close. But Stand Back was directly inspired by Little Red Corvette, and coincidentally, Prince plays the keyboard line on Stand Back. I think he was uncredited for many years. Maybe he still is, but Little Red Corvette, great, great pop song and another fan favorite that some fans would argue it gets a little overexposed in the live setting especially in recent years uh, when Prince's set list had tended to be more hits heavy. But it's a song that I never really get sick of, and it's a song that Prince reinvented live in recent years and gave more of a jazzier edge to. And sometimes Prince's reworkings of a song don't really hold up well to the original arrangements, but I'd say the recent performances of Little Red Corvette in the past three or four years or so have been absolutely amazing and have just been a testament to how good the song is as a composition and as a piece of music. Prince changed the feel drastically of the song in a live setting at the Montreux Jazz Festival. And ever since then, he's been playing it more in the style of how he played it at Montreux. I love it, though. I love both versions. I love the new jazzier-sounding version with the slow-down chant that really gets the audiences fired up. And I love the classic version with Dez's guitar solo. And i got to say, that guitar solo is great. And... It's hard to believe when you're listening to it, but it's actually multiple guitar solos pieced together into one great solo. So shout out to Des Dickerson for great, great guitar work. Vince, what are your thoughts on track number two, Little Red Corvette? Yeah, one of, one of my all-time favorites. I'm not sure where I would rank it, but pretty high up there. It's it's just an excellent song, as you said. And the recent live versions were something that kind of surprised me because I, I don't think I'd be a fa- I would be a fan of um, the reinventions and the ideas of sort of bringing these older maybe forms of music 
like um, jazz blues into his repertoire of these classic songs. But that works so well. And maybe it does speak to the power of just the song itself. Um, but getting back to the 1999 version, it's, it's again, it's, it's Prince, but it's so different from 1999, yet it does have the Lindrum to start it. Um, but a great piece of sort of classic rock. I'm sure it got played a lot on the rock stations. It was his, I believe, second top ten hit. He'd been without one for a while. Obviously, Dirty Mind didn't yield any uh, Nordic controversy, although it kind of surprised me because I was thought controversy was a bigger hit than it really was, but I guess it wasn't. Um, but yeah, they sort of returned him to the top of the charts, and um, I think he even performed that one on Solid Gold, <laughs> which is kind of funny to see because it isn't something you ever thought Prince would do. But yeah, I guess you know, right before Purple Rain, he had to sort of make those appearances. I'm pretty sure that was when he performed on Solid Gold. And it's just funny to see him in that setting, and pretty sure it might have been lip sync which is crazy to think of Prince doing a lip-synced song, but um, it's it just an excellent song. The way it ends, talking about the original album version, is fantastic. It's That's one that's hard to listen to the radio edit of, because you miss that part with Lisa at the end, down to the ground, which is just so excellent. And just the way it sort of closes out with Prince just improvising and it's it's just an excellent overall track it starts the album out right you know it's just such a great powerful song it's it does have that double entendre that um you know yeah it's something that prince is not afraid to perform now so it's but it's because it's a very clever song it's not very obvious um you were talking about Stand Back, and yeah, that was something I never realized for a number of years until very recently. She started talking about it a lot more openly and then talking about the fact that Prince does contribute to the song. Um, it did come out about, I was shocked to see when I did a little research that um, 1999 came out October 27th, which is my birthday, but you know, two years later. So it came out late in the year, and she probably heard Little Red Corvette either late in 1982 or really early in 1983 and um this song was actually released in like may 1983 i'm actually looking at, at prince vault um for that information because he yeah okay. he does contribute yeah keyboards too but yeah he does i think he still goes uncredited but he's probably credited and on um or in the Library of Congress, and I think a lot of people found that information. It's like, oh, he actually has an official um, songwriting credit on the song "Stand Back." Um, yeah, another and a great song that he obviously inspired. Who knows how many songs Prince inspired around that time, and how many groups inspired just with 1999 before the sort of huge mainstream success of "Purple Rain." Um, from 1999, yeah, yeah. great, great single. Obviously, uh, the breakthrough Prince sort of maybe wanted, didn't necessarily need, but you know, second top ten. Shockingly, 1999 didn't go top ten. 
I'm always shocked by that. I think just missed out. It was 11 in the States or 12 or something like that. But doesn't matter. Great song. doesn't matter where it plays. Yeah, man. It's interesting when you think about this album that it's the album directly before Purple Rain, which, as you were saying, you know, Purple Rain was the big smash breakthrough. And then 1999 is Prince right on the verge of that, which I think you hear some elements of Purple Rain sort of being expressed in the 1999 album. But, man, what a great bridge between two phenomenal albums in Controversy and Purple Rain. Now we're on to track number three, which is Delirious, another infectious dance song and another one of my personal favorites. I would say it just barely misses my personal top ten print songs of all time. Great, great song, and again, you've got that cleverness in the in the lyrics with the, the, the double entendre in Delirious as well. There's several of them in this song. In fact, a really neat keyboard hook that's simple, but it really gets stuck in your head and gets you up and moving when you listen to it. You hear the song come on, and from the first beat of the wind drum, you know, your foot's tapping and you're, you're dancing. So, And Delirious is an is a excellent example of that type of song, which, which Prince is pretty much a master at. As a third song, back-to-back with 1999 and a little red Corvette, I mean, just a killer killer trio of, of songs that open up the album. So, Vince, what do you want to say about Delirious? Yeah, great, fun pop song. It, it is hard to resist that one. And, um, you know, extremely accessible. You know, one of the, probably the most accessible song on the album, just fun, upbeat. Not shocking that it went to, you know, went top ten, probably you know, maybe the lower top ten, it might have just, it might have went gold, I'm not 100% sure, but um, just based on, not really based on his name yet, not really based on, even on the video, there wasn't a video for it that I can recall. Although a lot of the 1999 videos were very similar performance videos, uh, sort of purplish pink smoke, and um, 19, I remember, yeah. um, in particular, Little Red Corvette being better, um, had a better picture quality than 1999. And um, and um, let's pretend we're, pretend we're married, um, but I don't think there was a video for Delirious at all. So it was just based on that sort of really hooky song that went top ten, and it really was hard to resist it. Um, yet still kind of signature prints, but um, honestly, that's one of those ones that could have sort of went to any artist, maybe. I think it was just extremely accessible, extremely fun, um, upbeat, pop, and uh, great tune, and, and hard to resist it. And uh, it's kind of one that, you know, shows up a lot during the tours, and it's not surprising. It's a great, fun song. Yeah. So let's track number three. Vince, I'll let you start us off with the next song, Let's Pretend We're Married, seven minutes and 20 seconds. 
one of the longest tracks on the album. Of course, that doesn't say much because the next two tracks are even longer. But for now, let's start discussing track number four. Let's pretend we're married. Yeah, let's pretend we're married. Definitely a showcase of Prince's sort of out-there ideas. Not necessarily out there, but just really outspoken, different ideas about love and lust and being in a relationship. Um, and, and very reminiscent of, I think, controversy, but definitely a different feel to it. Somewhat lighter, not with... Not as political, obviously, but, um, you know, great, fun song, too. Um, you know, there is sort of a flow to the album, and it, it goes in different directions, but it sort of heads there, it, it, sort of song by song, and it's got a little bit of delirious feel, but obviously very different. Um, great sounding uh, one that, you know, I'm kind of, I'm not surprised wasn't a signature song, but it is one that pops up here and there, and it's a song that obviously the fans know and the fans love, and it is a great song. Um, and it, it's very catchy. It was covered, surprisingly, by Tina Turner. I think it might have been a single or B-side or something. Uh, went, she went somewhere with it, but um, yeah, it was covered by her, and the sound sound a little bit different. Obviously, not as eccentric, not as Prince, but you know, a good competent cover. And um, yeah, great, another great song in the canon. And um, you know, it is it's a good one. It's good. It is seven minutes. Um, long or a little bit longer uh it it does sort of need time to breathe it just sort of um lays it out there it is a little bit of a jam but obviously not um not necessarily kind of a rock sort of jam it's a prince jam it's just sort of goes it's very electronic very funky um great track yeah and i totally get what you're saying vince about the about the controversy vibe, because it definitely has that sort of new wave experimental vibe that a lot of controversy material had, but I think it sort of takes us to the next level in Let's Pretend We're Married, and it's almost it's almost like a, a symphony in a way to me with two movements. You know, you have that first part of the song that that's kind of light and and fun, and then and then he really breaks it down with the the drum beat and the synth bass, and he really gets graphic with the discussion of you know lust and and stuff. And it's one of it's one of the most obvious examples of the sexually liberated prince of the you know of the earlier years. And keep in mind, this is before the parental advisory sticker came into play because, you know, uh, Purple Rain, the the following album, really set that whole movement off with with Timber Gore being outraged at the content of the song Dolly Nikki, so she pushed for a 
parental advisory sticker to be to be put on all albums where the content was maybe a little too mature for for listeners of a certain age. But you know, at the time of the 1999 album, the parental advisory guidelines kind of yet to be even. Well, I'm sure they were being discussed, but they weren't they weren't put into practice until Purple Rain. So. Let's pretend we're married. Definitely warrants a parental advisory warning for you know uh, purchasers and listeners of the album. But great, great songs, and again, sort of an infectious dance groove. But but I think why it has gained more prominence and why more people don't know about it is, of course, because the the racier parts of it, you know, make it sort of inaccessible to to mass audiences, which is really a shame. But it was released as a single, and I'm guessing it's a it's an edited version because if it was a full version, you know, that'd be kind of hard to swallow for for uh, you know the public. But yeah, the 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 single edit was three minutes and forty seconds, and of course the album cut being seven minutes and twenty seconds so a lot of a lot of the the song the second half of the song is really truncated in the single version but it kind of hints back to that more rebellious prince of dirty mind and you kind of had a little bit of that in in controversy but this really the the message and the vibe of the song really I think really reminds me of Dirty Mind in a lot of ways. Oh yeah, I can see that. So it's yeah, it's that side, it's that side of Prince, sort of the rude boy side, asserting itself again on the 1999 album, and a great song. It's it's funny because it's a it's a good example of Prince mixing spirituality and sexuality as well because of course the the last line of the song is I'm going to another life how about you so he's talking about Christianity and religion obviously and then but the bulk of the song was more about lust and issues of the flesh so it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition there between spirituality and sexuality. Sometimes when I listen to it, I don't mind the length of it. Other times when I listen to it, it seems sort of to drag on just a little bit, but it depends on if I'm in the mood to stick with it. But one thing I could say is I've always really enjoyed Prince's longer jams whenever he's put longer songs on albums and this album 1999 definitely has the the highest ratio of long jams to regular length songs so i think that's one of the many reasons that i really love this album that's let's pretend we're married and the next two tracks five and six are even longer than Let's Pretend We're Married, the first we're going to talk about DMSR, 
is 8 minutes and 15 seconds. So, again, another long jam. And then that's followed up by automatic at 9 minutes and 27 seconds. So that's 17 minutes and change we're talking about over the span of two songs. So that's kind of cool. Two things I'm going to mention on the cassette. DMSR closes out side one, and automatic opens side two. And also on the earliest compact disc printings of this album, DMSR was actually removed from the track list for the sake of length, because at that point, CDs couldn't hold as many minutes as this album was. And of course, when it was released, it was released as a double album on vinyl. But DMSR and Automatic, both of those are in my top five print songs ever. And anybody that knows me knows that the print songs I tend to get into most, and there are some exceptions, but the print songs that I get into most tend to be more on the funk side of things with songs like Head. And these two tracks definitely are in that same vein. But DMSR, two words coming to mind when I think of that song, funk anthem. This song just grabs you and, and brings you along for the ride. And it's one of those examples of down and dirty, hardcore, Minneapolis funk. And it's one of those songs that I come back to time and time again. Again, it's one of those examples of a song that Prince plays in live shows and it gets people up and moving and it gets the adrenaline flowing and and it's just a tremendous, you know, in-your-face funk jam. And then, of course, it's got that crazy ending with with it's either Lisa Coleman or Jill Jones. I can't remember which. I think I read somewhere that it was Lisa screaming, please, somebody help me. So it's got that sort of craziness to it. But one of Prince's greatest songs by a mile, if you ask me, and just irresistible and infectious as anything he's ever done to my ears. I mean, DMSR. The real cool thing about it is it's got that, that whole chant thing where if it's played in a live setting, you know, you get the audience interaction with that, ooh, all right, back and forth. And that's a really cool aspect of a song to have in a live setting because it really gets the audience involved and really gets their attention and brings them along for the ride. But DMSR amazing song and, and near flawless in my estimation as far as Prince Funk Jams go. Vince, what are your thoughts on track number five, Dance Music Sex Romance? Uh, yeah, one of his all-time best album tracks for sure. Um, kind of, I think it was like kind of a single. It's, it's somewhat debatable. I think it might have been a promo or something in the U.K., I mean, I'm looking at it now, and um, UK, I guess it was a UK single. It's a B-side. 
the UK single. Okay, so yeah, I don't think it was a. It might have been a promo. Um, it really should have been a single. It, it is one of his anthems. It's just so funky. It's just so good. It's it's one of those songs that yes, it's eight minutes and twenty seven seconds or however long it is, and you don't mind it at all. You just listen the whole day. It is great how it. I was just thinking about that Scream too because I've been listening to the album a lot and um, listening to the whole album, not Scream anything. And I hear that Scream and I'm like, and I always wonder the same thing. I'm like, okay, thinking about the timeline, it's like, okay, is it Lisa? Is it, it doesn't really sound like Lisa. It might be Jill. And I was thinking it might be Vanity, but I guess nobody said that would, it was Vanity because I know Vanity did contribute to Free, which we're going to get to later on, of course. And, um, yes, I wonder. It doesn't really – could be Lisa. I wonder. Um, might be something to ask her one day if I ever get um, – she ever is in chatty mood. But, yeah, it's just a great, excellent song. Um, really funky. Has a great party feel to it. Uh, one that, Another interesting note on the song is it was released as part of Risky Business Soundtrack, which is kind of weird, um, as an edit. I think at this time, Prince was sort of just sliding this stuff, or, you know, Warner Brothers sliding this stuff, sort of just go anywhere. Um, so it's yeah, kind of sure. strange, yeah, to hear it in, in that setting, you know, considering how rarely Prince sort of does that, how rarely... Um, his songs um, were used in movies other than his own. Uh, I hate to go keep going back, but Delirious was actually used in the movie Delirious, which I always found really strange because that was a 1991 movie. It's something you wouldn't think Prince would lend his support to. It was a, just a funny comedy. And, um, right. yeah, it's in there. And it's like, when you hear it, it's like, oh, my God, you just smile from ear to ear. If you, did you ever see that movie, Delirious? Oh, yeah, Delirious is probably my favorite John Candy movie that he did. Oh, it's a great yeah. movie, yeah. It's just, it just oh, like, yeah. oh, it's just great. It's like, oh, you just hear the song, and it's like, and it is a great movie. Um, Yeah, so it's kind of interesting to think about it in the context of that movie, um, which I sure, sure. honestly don't remember seeing, like, seeing the whole thing, um, but I always knew it was in there, and... um. But it'd be a crime to hear some kind of single edit of that. It, it's got to be the whole the whole song. So maybe it was better it wasn't a single because you would you'd be bombarded by the single edit all the time. So just a great great tune. And um, yeah. talking about the the idea of the fact that it was cut off the initial CD run is crazy. But I mean, this was one of the albums that came out is the CD was sort of becoming a, a format, very early stages, but so I guess it, it had to right. be done. I would wonder maybe at the end of the podcast which song you think should have been cut off, because I definitely don't think that should have been it. I do have an idea, um, but I'll save it toward the end. And maybe that's a cool Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I think we might even agree on what song to, to cut off. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we'll get to yeah. that. Track number six. This is, like I said earlier, in my top five 
favorite Prince song, and it's, it's, I believe it's the longest song on the album. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Nine minutes and 27 seconds. I love this groove and this vibe to this song so much that it wouldn't faze me one bit if this song went on for 20 minutes. I mean, I absolutely love Automatic. Uh, and it's just one of those songs that's just... Oh, I can't really, I can't really put it into words. It just, it just knocks me over every time I hear it. And I never get sick of it because it goes in a direction that you really wouldn't expect with the whole bondage fetish going on. We won't get too deep into that for more innocent listeners, but just a very bizarre, interesting twist within the narrative of the song, which is reflected in the video. And the video is quite rare, but, you know, being a hardcore fan, of course, I have tracked it down and I have seen it. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, the video is a, a piece of work in itself. But the song is, like I say, I don't know how to put it into words. It's just an amazing, amazing song. And the groove is just, Absolutely, absolutely sick. You know, a song that you, that you can really dance to and, and get down. And I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if this was a mainstay at nightclubs back in the day that DJs were spinning like crazy to get people moving because it's just one of those songs that just takes you and grabs you. And it's so so catchy and so funky and I don't know I, I just love the song there's so many little little elements to it with the little keyboards and, and you know it breaks down just the drums and the keyboards at one point and then you know with the bass and all the different layers of it as a musical composition it's, it's really really rich and really interesting and just on the surface as a, you know, a catchy, funky pop song. I mean, it's really good. So, I don't know. I I love the song. I can go on about it forever. But Automatic Vince, what do you think of this track? Excellent track. Um, It's one of those songs that you don't mind that it goes on forever. But it's, um, yeah, it is kind of a strange one, lyrically, that, it goes into like a dark area. You don't expect it to go there. You expect a song like automatic to be kind of like delirious, just be sort of fun, frivolous, um, upbeat. Not well, not upbeat, but you know, sort of maybe like just maintain that sort of funky quality, danceable quality. But it does get really crazy toward uh, yeah, toward the end. Um, but uh, just a great song. One that a um, little bit surprised never caught on as far as um, doing doing it live. It seems like just sort of did it 1999, obviously. Maybe did it for Purple Rain because um, we had so few. It was like, you know, obviously Purple Rain was kind of Purple Rain and 1999 dependent with uh, very few of the other songs. I just sort of let that, I had that up, and then 
I went to look at something else. Yeah, he just did it for the parade tour and probably not even the whole day, just did part of it. Um, so wow, kind of and that, technically that's four, four years after the fact because we're talking about parade tour in 1986. The album came out like, in 80. Yeah, so it's like... In four years for Prince is like a lifetime because there were like um, two... Yeah, two pretty big albums like just that are so all encompassing. So it is it was always strange. It's like, wow, he did it for the parade tour of all the but yeah, he did it for the parade tour and that was kind of it. But it sort of makes sense. Um it was one of those things that even though it was I guess a single and more of a promo, but maybe a single in other territories. It's one of those things you're surprised they didn't Maybe kind of surprise didn't catch on, but um, it's one of those things you think would be sort of kept alive, but maybe because of the content, obviously, it's something it wouldn't necessarily resurrect now, and there are so many other songs, but it is great to have it on that album, and just it's something that's like so, it, it, it's, it's still kind of in the same territory musically, but it's a bit darker, and then we get a little bit darker, I think, on side. If you want to call it side two, it, it, well, I guess it starts side two, doesn't it, for the cassette? But you know, for that, it's it's obviously it's four different album sides, but it, in a way, it kind of is like the second part um, of the CD, if you will. But yeah, yeah, it sort of gets yeah. into darker territory and uh, get away from the pop stuff so much. Talking about automatic talking about it in the context of previous songs on the album that we've discussed, it kind of blends the thematic elements of Let's Pretend We're Married with sort of the energy of Delirious because Let's Pretend We're Married is sort of, is about relationships. Thematically, it's a little bit twisted and a little bit dark, and automatic is the same way thematically. And but yet it sort of has, you know, the same quirky, fun energy musically that Delirious has. So it, it kind of links to those two songs in a way, which having these on the same album kind of makes sense. And Prince's songs about relationships, generally they have a little dark edge to all of them, if you think about it through the years. But yeah, Automatic... Very interesting song and very great way to kick off the the second half of the album. As I said, it opens side two of the cassette. Then we go to track number seven, which continues with sort of the darkness, you know, and sort of, I don't want to say twisted, but but somewhat disconcerting and, and troubling vibe to it with something in the water does not compute another song about the relationship to doing about and for years this was one of the songs on the album that just really didn't move me but I heard it it kind of left me cold but quite frankly creeped me out but um, it's been a song that's kind of grown on me and I like the new wave aspect of it. It sort of sounds a little bit like something Devo would do, 
with the with the keyboards and you know all the staccato notes and uh it's one of those prime examples in Prince's music where he's doing something very sparse and very minimal but it it really really works and it's a really atmospheric type song it really sets a mood Vince what do you think of something in the water does not compute it yeah it is a strange song but I mean it is perfect for this sort of album that is is sort of I think his last maybe if if you were to call the controversy and Dirty Mind New Wave it's sort of a good part of that new wave chapter um very minimalistic very futuristic um dark and it's something that you're kind of not surprised that didn't really go far beyond the album much um but maybe you know something brings out every so often uh but not not a terrible song, and it is one that I think might be able to grow on you. And it, it's just sort of an interesting concept, the way um, he he just thinks about relationships and sort of puts in it to that realm of sci-fi. And um, it's but yeah, it's it's a good song you know it's four minutes so now we're getting to shorter songs again which is kind of interesting i think if it it's kind of weird because it's like well we have all these long jams long jams or these longer yeah. tracks now we're back to something that's accessible as a pop song but it really isn't but it makes sense because if it went on too long i think it would not the you know listener would get turned off it but too much by the whole album and so it is pretty pretty good length you know just just enough to keep you interested all right now this is the song track number eight where i'm going to go back to the comment about dmsr being excluded on early cd projects this would be the track speaking of track number eight three this would be the track that I would have excluded rather than DMSR, but that's just my personal taste. On an album this strong, Free definitely stands out to me as the weakest track in the bunch. And I know that quite a few people, including our own Nicky Fusio, really love this track and really come to its defense when people speak less than favorably about it. On its own, the track isn't a bad track at all. I mean, it's got a pleasant melody. The vocals are impeccable on it, and it's got a nice gospel vibe to it, which is, again, unique to Prince, where he can pull off blending genres in that way, you know, putting a clear-cut gospel song on an album like 1999. It's pretty daring and bold move, but he pulls it off. But in the context of the album, with the other material being as strong as it is, free, it's really easy to just sort of gloss over 
an overlook for me. I mean, even when standing up against the last three songs on the album, which we have yet to get to, three pales in comparison. And it certainly pales in comparison to each of the previous seven tracks. Vince, what do you think? Well, it's not where I'm making my cut. I'll let you know when I get there, though. I, I like Free. I like Free a lot. and It was one of the songs that um, I liked the first time I heard the album, where with some of the songs, it took me a while to get into them. But I liked Free the first time I heard it. Um, I was always interested in the fact that Vanity gets a singing credit on there because, you know, Vanity's stuff is out of print. You cannot find it. You can get the Last Dragon soundtrack, I believe. And um, that's probably it. But she, you know, obviously you can't find Vanity Six album, with the exception of, I guess, Japanese releases have never, sort of never got released here. Um, so I was sort of always interested in that, although I heard Nasty Girl and um, at the time. And um, it's kind of weird because she she's credited on the album, but she's not credited I looked in Prince Vault, and for some reason, they don't give her the credit there, which is kind of strange, but I know she's credited on the album. Um, but obviously, Jill and Lisa are probably heard a little more prominently, but who knows? Uh, it, it's a really great, sort of does have a gospel feel to it. It's different from everything else that's on the album. It's just total departure, and it is a great emotional song that... Um, you know, obviously, this sort of takes you out of that crazy sort of funk vibe of the past, the seven songs we just listened to, and brings you to something totally different, and telling you it was on Prince's mind at the time, and about being free, and his, his concept of that, and, um, you know, there's a few things that bother me in this song, like, it, it sort of part where he almost starts to try to start a chant. Um, we will fight. It's like that sort of feels hackneyed. Other than that, it's a really great song. I, I think it's really emotional. Um, sort of has a precursor to, I want to say, Purple Rain as a whole, and especially Purple Rain the song, especially when he starts going um, at the end. Just to, to yeah, sort of... Yeah. Yeah, it's like that almost sounds like it was directly from preparing the song or sort of influence of preparing the song. Um, obviously, it's one he's fond of. He does tend to do it a lot here and there. It's on One Night Alone, and there weren't a lot of new old songs on One Night Alone um, that are that rare. So, um, obviously, and it, it does get a big crowd reaction Although it is it is a weird departure from the album, but I think it's sort of, you know, wants to give you a little bit of variety there. All right. So we move on to track number nine, another long jam after two short songs. At eight minutes and 25 seconds, we've got the winning back funky lady cab driver. Vince, I'll let you start this one off. Yeah, this was one, because I like Free so much, I would, I would listen to this one a lot, too. And it's 
really, you know, I wasn't a kid when I bought the album. I was like, not as futuristic or dependent on I think um, the same things that the other, the earlier 1999 songs, earlier in the album anyways, are um, but it's really just simple and effective and funky and, and it works on those levels and lyrically it's just kind of you know, risque interesting um, you know, if we're going to keep it PG-13, won't say, but saying that one's for that and that one's for that, and um, it just it just sort yeah. of gets, gets you laughing, or, you know, at the very least. Um, so, really great song, um, one that I, you know, I would hope he'd maybe do more, but I don't, I don't know, I don't think we're going to hear that one necessarily very often. But it might be interesting. might be something he brings out, but it'd be pretty shocking, uh, obviously based on lyrical content. But it's a great, great track, um, one I really liked a lot when I first bought the album and still listen to a lot um, when I listened to 1999. So great, great track. Yeah. I just got to go on, on what you were saying. Yeah, it's 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 funky but it's a lot more mellow. And by mellow I don't mean boring. I just mean it's a lot more laid back and a lot less aggressive than the other yes. funky tunes on the album and it's just got a great vibe and it's just one that you could bob your head to and it's funky but it's it's laid back. It's it's cool, you know. From a storytelling standpoint, the song is brilliant because, to me, it really paints a vivid enough picture to where I can almost dream up a music video, as it were, for it in my head. You know, seeing Prince in the back of this cab with a female cabbie up front driving. So I like the storytelling aspect of it. And then... You know, when it gets to the more risque part, I got to say, Jill Jones, brilliant yeah. acting on the risque parts of it. I mean, her little vocal inflections and little screams and the things she does, they're really, really well done and really sell the whole vibe of the, the song to me really well. The extended instrumental portions... You know, where the group just sort of breathes and, you know, he lets it ride. It's great stuff. I mean, it's 
basically candy for your ears, which a lot of this album is, but Lady Cab Driver, I think, especially is is really just fun to listen to. And again, you know, there's different elements and subtle little things that you pick up listening to the the instrumentation of it that are really, really cool. The guitar solo in particular, in the vast amount of guitar work the Prince has done in his catalog, I think Lady Cab Driver wouldn't be an obvious one that would come up in a discussion of of Prince playing the guitar. But you listen to that guitar solo in that song, and it's one of the best, most striking solos he's ever done in a song. And in a funk song, you would think a guitar solo would be one of the best or most standout qualities of, of a song, but the guitar solo is just off the charts good and impressive. And that's one of the elements that I that immediately comes to mind in thinking of this song. And the beat and the hook is just absolutely infectious. And like Vince says, you know, it's an absolute shame that this isn't played live anymore. Of course, you know, the latter half of the song is obviously something that Prince is not going to agree with performing anymore, given his personal philosophies and, and religious beliefs since the turn of the millennium. But, um, you know, within the main portion of the song, prior to the ending, you will skit, as Vince put it, which I think is an apt description of that section, but prior to the skit, I can't see anything objectionable about the song, so it's a real shame and kind of a mystery as to why Prince hasn't pulled this one out and, and played it live, because it would be a, a great, great song, just get a funk workout going get a band jam going, you know, get the, the keyboardist in there, have a great keyboard solo by by Renato or Cassandra or whoever the, the main keyboardist of the band is at the time, break it down with Ida or Rhonda Smith on bass, do an extended bass solo in there. Even John Blackwell, they could even do a drum solo in there if they wanted to live because the beat, is just so infectious and so catchy that a drum solo in Lady Cab Driver wouldn't seem out of place or indulgent at all to me. But great, great track and a fan favorite for sure. Yeah, it's a real shame that Prince never plays this in a live setting because it would be great. And I know a lot of people, hardcore fans, especially with would lose their minds to hear Lady Cab Driver played live. So now we go to the second to the last song, All the Critics Love You in New York, which, of course, speaking of a live setting, Prince almost always enters the lyrics to uh, match up to the venue or the state that he's playing in. When he was in France a couple years ago, he would sing... All the critics love you in Paris. 
And oddly enough, when he did the shows in New Jersey, at the start of the, the Welcome to America shows, he still sang the word New York, which was kind of strange to me. It was funny that he didn't change it to all the critics love you in Jersey as per his custom, but um, minimalist, kind of funky song, kind of a weird, quirky song, and kind of another example of the final chapter of Prince's new wave explorations. You know, it's almost like spoken poetry in a way because the lyrics are pretty much spoken rather than sung. The chorus is really the only thing that's sung, but it's interesting, you know, it, it's it's a, it's a love song to New York, basically. And, you know, back in the day, Prince was known as an artist that thought outside of the box and didn't, didn't adhere to conventional norms of society and, and was, was independent and outspoken and risque. And it's a love song to New York in the sense that the rebellious Prince feels at home in New York and feels that he can be himself and more uninhibited and more outrageous in New York than he can in any other place. So it's kind of a it's kind of an anthem for New York at that time and interesting themes to the song and interesting musically with the, the new wave aspect of it. It is kind of weak in comparison to the rest of the 1999 material, but like something in the water, it's been one of those songs that I've kind of warmed up to over time. It still isn't a highlight for me of the album, but I can appreciate it a lot more now than I could when I was hearing this album as a kid and even into my teens. This track was one of the tracks that I overlooked quite often, and over the past few years that I've kind of gained a new appreciation for it, but all the critics over you in New York, kind of a quirky track, and, you know, like I said, not as strong as most of the other tracks on 1999, but it's a good, fun track. I like it, and I never, I never really skip it when I listen to the albums. Vince, what do you think of all the critics? One of the songs I love um, as well, even though there's nothing really, you know, it's it's not as strong as obviously the singles, but it, it is a quirky, fun song. It always sort of makes you smile, or makes me smile, I should say. It makes you smile, bad grammar. Um, <laughs> but it, it's just a great sort of, interesting song, very much part of his new wave um, sound, and does put a good closing chapter in on that, um, those new wave experiments, and um, really just interesting, sort of funny, um, a lot of Prince's humor is shown there, um, it sort of shows up a little bit here and there on the album, but I think it's sort of a funny track. Um, and, yeah, just, you know, it is a bit of a chant. It's not really the same. It doesn't have a melody really like the Red Corvette or a lot of the other songs, but 
it's a it's a really good chant and um, not quite a party song either, but it's kind of funky. It's it's not not like any of the other songs on the album, but it's it sort of has similarities to a few, and it fits on the album, and I like it every time. You know, it's nothing I'll skip over. It's something I'll always listen to, and I really like it. I like the fact that he does it live a lot. I like the fact that you know he he does sort of change the lyrics um, off into Sugar City. And um, I'm hoping one day it'll be all the critics love you in Detroit because uh, it's been a while since he's been here, and um, I'm hoping to see her. But it doesn't seem like he's saying anything about that just yet. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see what the future holds. But I'm hearing rumblings of of uh, Midwest appearances soon, and I don't know how reliable those rumors are, but we'll see. And, yeah. And I know I know for a fact that Prince holds the city of Detroit near and dear, so uh, citizens of Detroit, don't despair. Prince will be back. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure of it, you know, in the near future, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but all the critics, yeah. Very unique song, and unlike anything else on the album, that's for sure. Well, we only have one song left, and Vince, you haven't you haven't pointed <laughs> out what what track you would have cut in favor of DMSR on the early CD pressings. So, by deductive reasoning, I'm guessing it's the last track, track number eleven, "International Lover." Yep, that would be an international lover. It's just one of the songs that early on I, I didn't get it, and I still listen to it. I think I know why the, the song is musically. I mean, I think I know why he would include this kind of song. It is. It feels like sort of a tribute to old legends and uh, has that feel to it I, I can sort of see that I know later on the door was something he even stated matter of factly or somebody maybe was in the, the hits notes that it was sort of had that Lou for Vandross feel a door did and um, this was maybe not Lou for Vandross but other soul legends um, yeah, yeah. Um, Motown era or um, Stax, you know, who knows? I can't think of yeah, any yeah. artists off the top of my head. Maybe Al Green, um, maybe not even that mainstream. I'm not, I'm just blanking on names right now. But he, um, I can sort of see the reasoning behind a song like this, but it, it seems like such an awkward fit for the album. It goes on a l- little bit too long. If anything, I, I assume it's meant to be a little bit on the humorous side. It feels kind of like a time track. Like, it would be perfect for Moore's Day. It just seems like a weird fit to close the album of all things. Like, you know, we had all these sort of 
funk, new wave, all this experimentation, and then to sort of close with this like really slow song that I can't imagine there's any other involvement from Revolution members where you're sort of sprinkled in on other tracks, but this seems like just solo track. I can't imagine anyone might have anything to do with that track. It's just sort of there, and it's sort of long, self-indulgent. Maybe, maybe it was meant to be funny, like the idea of being the pilot and um, almost the other extreme of Lady Cab Driver just being a total misogynist, but even though Lady Cab Drivers are misogynistic too. But it, it feels like a time track that for some reason he kept. And, you know, for, of all the time tracks, international lovers kind of baffling. Very astute observations, and I agree with all of them pretty much. I mean, this track is, yeah, a little saccharine, a little sweet, syrupy, a little cheesy, but I, I just sort of look at it as a, as a fun, tongue-in-cheek track. I mean, my favorite element of the track is the very end where Prince is doing that speaking bit, talking about the metaphor of being the pilot of Prince Airlines. Uh, I just love that bit of it. But on the whole, it's kind of a cheesy, syrupy, sweet kind of track, and it is a little bit long. But I kind of see it as a precursor all the greater ballads like Scandalous and Insatiable. I kind of see it I kind of see it as Prince sort of cutting his teeth or, you know, getting his feet wet in that type of genre or that style of song where he didn't have it quite perfected in International Lover, but I think without International Lover, songs like Adore and Scandalous possibly wouldn't have come after. And I may be wrong on that, but that's sort of my hunch and that's sort of the vibe I get while listening to the track. You know, and Prince always seems to have a ballad somewhere on his albums, and it seems pretty standard to have a ballad. And 1999, you know, up until the last track, International Lover, didn't have a clear-cut ballad on it. So I think... That might be the reason, in a nutshell, why the song is on there. I mean, the closest we get to a ballad on this album is Free, which isn't really so much of a ballad to my ears as it is more of a gospel tune. So the way I look at it, he needed to have a ballad somewhere on the album, and he just stuck it at the end because ballads are slower, and so it's kind of a good way to wind things down and and wrap things up. But yeah, a syrupy sweet track, and I never, almost never, I should say, because I do sometimes, but nine times out of ten when I'm listening to the album, I never stick with International Lover all the way through. I usually listen to a little less than half of it, maybe two and a half or three minutes, and then basically just fast forward to the ending bit so I can laugh when he says, thank you for flying Prince Airlines, because that's my favorite part of the song. But I almost never listen to the whole track in its entirety, because, yeah, it is kind of syrupy and, and kind of a weird fit for the album, but it's a ballad, and he has a ballad on all of his albums. 
So, you know, what can you do? International lover. So that ends the album, and there we have 11 tracks. Uh, classic album. Tremendous in a historical context when you think of it as the bridge between two genius albums in Controversy and Purple Rain. And this was the album that came out right on the verge of Prince's breakthrough mainstream success with Purple Rain. So this is the last time Prince would release an album not being known as a superstar and not being instantly recognizable. Although Little Red Corvette, when that was released as a single, that really went a long way, especially for Prince to cross over into mainstream radio as a crossover artist to appeal more to white audiences than he maybe had previously in his career. But Purple Rain was a big breakout success. So 1999 was the last time Prince would ever see anything close to not being a household name. So that's it, basically. There's 1999 turning 30 years old this year, and Prince gets the rights to it sometime this year. Maybe he's already acquired them, and then in 2014, as Mickey said, he'll acquire the Masters to Purple Rain, and hopefully then we'll see remastered, expanded collector's editions of the first four albums in Prince's career. But until then, we'll just have to wait and pray that it happens. But 1999, definitely a landmark album in Prince's career, and a must-own album if you're a fan this album showcases who Prince is as an artist, and like Vince said earlier, this is the first time you're really seeing Prince really defined as an artist, as the artist that we would all come to know and love from then on, who's still going strong. So it's a tremendous album, and I had fun discussing it here on the podcast, the first Purple Nights podcast. 2012. I'd like to say thank you to Vince Mastronardi. And until next time, I'm Chris Johnson, and I am out. Purple Nights Podcast, and we'll talk about the benefits to celebrate life. Held Sunday, February 19, 2012, at First Avenue and 7th Street Entry in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The revolution shall rise again next week on the Purple Nights Podcast. Don't miss it. <laughs>